0: Hello and welcome to the podcast, Acknowledge Them, Remember Them. My name is Paula. This podcast is a place for parents to remember their babies and to talk openly and safely about them. Each episode, I will speak with a parent about their baby who has gone too soon through miscarriage, stillbirth, neonatal death, termination for medical reasons or other reasons. Before I start, I need to say a word of thanks to Anchor FM for hosting this podcast. Anchor FM is a free mobile app that allows you to record, edit and publish your podcast all from your phone and all for free. They have a wealth of knowledge and support so that you can get the best from your podcast. They will publish and promote your podcast on the usual streaming services, including Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker Audio, Apple Podcasts and a whole host of others, all for free and all from your phone. week's episode, I speak with Michelle, who is mum to Fia.
1: Hi Michelle, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hello, how are you?
1: Not too bad. Um, you are Fia's mum?
2: Yes, Fia uh, was my uh, fourth child.
1: Fourth baby. And Fia was born in 2015, was
2: it? Yes, yeah, she was born on the 11th of September 2015.
1: Go on. So, um, whenever you're ready, I'd love to hear Fear's story.
2: Okay. So, um, as I said, Fia was my fourth child. I had uh, three boys um, with the assistance of fertility treatment. And when my youngest boy at the time was only five months old, I remember feeling really tired all the time, not feeling great. And um, my husband passed a comment one day saying to me, God, if I didn't know better, I'd say you were pregnant. And I laughed it off because we had been trying for um, almost five years, I think it was, before we had our first child, um, after we were married. Um, So he went to work one of the days, and I still wasn't feeling great, and I just happened to have a pregnancy test in the house, and I said, oh God, I'll I'll do that test now, and uh, just put my mind at ease, because it's like ridiculous, you know, the baby's five months old, I'm exclusively breastfeeding, uh, nothing has gone back to normal. So I did the test, went in, changed my son's nappy, and came back, and when I looked at the test, it, it said pregnant. It was... The most joyous moment in my life. Yeah. Because with with my other pregnancies, there was always like certain days you had to do tests, and people that would go through a fertility uh, journey would realise that it, everything is predicted. You know. Yeah. So I just felt, oh my God! I was kind of laughing. I was shocked. I was so surprised. And as I said, it was like one of the most joyous moments because I was completely and utterly swept off my feet. Mm. I remember about half nine, trying to ring my husband to tell him, and uh, he wasn't answering the phone. He was in work, like. Um, so I actually sent him a photograph of my son at the time, um, who had a really like surprised expression on his face, just that I had previously taken and a, a, a photo of the pregnancy test, and I just saw underneath it, "Oh my God! Did you uh, hear? Him? Did you see what Mammy said? I'm going to be a big brother." And I just sent it to my husband and within a couple of minutes he rang me back and was like oh my god are you serious and I was like it's not something I joke about and we were kind of laughing and I was like oh my god like you know what do you think and he was like just brilliant he said this is absolutely amazing mm-hmm. I was going to be 40 that July and I had always said if I was lucky enough I'd love to have four children mm-hmm. and to finish my family by the time I was 40. Mm-hmm. So It was just like it was just the most brilliant birthday present uh, you know, surprise. Yeah. As I said, I can't I can't I can't even explain the joy I felt in that moment. Mm. And after
1: so I got particularly off the phone. After the fertility, particularly after the fertility journey, for it to happen oh, So, so so you know you're like
2: Absolutely. Oh, you're yeah. And it like it No, and you don't you don't and you, you hear all these stories and like when you're going through a fertility journey it's really annoying when people say to you like just relax, you know, mm-hmm. it'll happen. Um, you know because if it was that easy wouldn't we all just relax and it would happen you know so uh, it, it was just it was just fantastic then kind of the fear set in because as I said it was only five months since I'd had my previous baby which was my third c-section and mm. um, I had fertility medication in the house and I knew from myself um that unless I was on progesterone I was highly likely that I was going to um the pregnancy wouldn't continue mm. And I, you know, and I am a nurse, so I decided, there and then it was a Saturday that I would start taking the medication that I had been previously on, and I would bring yeah. my uh, facility specialist. So I did that, and I had a scan on the Monday, and he told me it was the right thing to do that I had started progesterone. He did the scan, and um, all he could see the baby's heartbeat and everything, and it was just, it was just really nice. So we came out and we were skipping around. I told a few of my friends, and they just kept laughing at me. Like, you know, they were like, "Oh my God, you know, how many are you going to have under what age?" And it was, it was just a really, really happy time. Yeah. Just, I don't think I've actually felt the same level of happiness since because the happiness is always slightly tainted now, yeah. you know, because mm-hmm. she's not here to share it with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but the pregnancy progressed fine, apart from being really sick. Um like you know, I was sick all day long, which I never was on my three boys. Mm. Um I, you know, it went along. As I said, I, I had I had of really small children at home and I just kind of, you know, had to work through the sickness. Um I was on maternity, leave, so thankfully I didn't have to go back to work, like, you know, and I was able to manage it at home. And then um for my fortieth we decided we would go to Disneyland and we went off to Disneyland for five days and it was lovely. Um, but it was, it was kind of strange. In Disneyland, I'd see little baby clothes, and where I'd always previously bought something for my babies when I was traveling, um, when I was pregnant, for some reason, I didn't buy anything for fear. A couple of times, David would look at a little baby grow or something, and he'd say, do you want to get it for the baby? And I was mm-hmm. like, no, we'll just wait, you know. Looking back now, I wonder was, you know the universe or God or, you know, the spiritual side of me yeah. preparing me that she wouldn't get to stay. Yeah. Um, but I never bought anything for her. Yeah. And I w- we went out on my fortieth birthday and with a group of friends for dinner and that's when I told everybody that I was pregnant because I was just over twelve weeks at that yeah. stage. And
3: yeah.
2: um, obviously I told my my family beforehand, yeah. um but I just kinda of made the announcement that night because they were all trying to buy me Prosecco and champagne and stuff, <laughs> you know. I was like, no, there's a reason why. And it was just lovely because everybody was so happy and yeah. delighted, you know. And as I said, the pregnancy went fine. Um, and then I started, I started like, as I said, I was feeling sick the whole time. And just a couple of days before my scan, my, my anomaly scan was booked for 21 weeks. Mm-hmm. Actually on the day of the 21 weeks. And, um, Probably the Saturday and Sunday we went into town, I was already, I was still feeling a little bit unwell on the, on the Sunday. I remember being in Stevens Green Park and thinking, oh I have to sit down for a minute. Mm. And you know, I I said I just need to sit down, I have a little bit of an, you know, ache in my belly. But I put it down to having almost back to back pregnancies. And I just, I remember just sitting down and just resting and David asked me, was I okay? And I was like, no, no, I'm fine, like I feel good, you know. And the next day we dropped the children to school and I dropped my son around to his play school and I remember getting dressed nice because I felt well, you know, I felt mm-hmm. really well and I put makeup on and I did my hair and I joked to the school that he said, oh my God, you look really well, you're blooming and I was like, I feel great,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, I said, I'm going in for a little photo shoot now so um, I decided I better make an effort, you know, and see the baby like mm-hmm. and we went into the room for our scan and I remember feeling a little bit nervous beforehand because um, David wanted to find out the gender of the baby. Um, I wasn't really sure. I had three boys so of course to have a little girl was, you know, would have been the icing on the cake yeah. and I was afraid of how I would feel Um either way, whether, I, you know, which, whichever way. I, I, yeah. I was afraid that I would feel guilty for feeling happy if it was a girl and I was afraid I'd feel Guilty you upset, maybe or guilt or disappointed or yeah. just kind of oh another boy and I and I don't mean that to take away from oh no, anybody
1: yeah.
2: but when you have a house full of boys yeah. and you come from a house full of girls <laughs> you know you're just a bit lost you know yeah. so um, we went in anyway for the scan and I remember just feeling a little bit oh god I'm just really nervous and I hope everything goes well and um, I remember once actually prior to that scan the doctor asking me for um did I want certain tests done throughout the pregnancy and I kind of laughed and I said are you doing this now because I'm 40 you know because you never asked these before and she said oh yeah and she said you know she kind of laughed at me and she said well you're considered a geriatric pregnancy and we were laughing you know I said no no so we had gone in for the scan so, um, yeah and this is I suppose where the story turns like We went in for the scan, and we lay down. And the nurse—it not wasn't, it wasn't a doctor. I'm—I'm I'm not sure whether she was a nurse or a midwife, or whether she was a um, an ultrasound um, technician. I—I I don't know. I don't know what our actual job title was. But um, normally, I would get my scans by my consultant, you know. But I—I I didn't that day because it was the anomaly scan.
3: Mm.
2: I remember just lying down on the bed, and mm. um, see his image came up on the screen. I remember looking, going, "Oh God, there it is." And she said, "Are you going to find out the gender?" And I said, "Oh, I'm not sure." And David said, "Yes, we are." Mm-hmm. So she scanned away. And as I said, I'm a nurse, um, so I can, I can, you know, see little things mm-hmm. that maybe other people mightn't see. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm certainly no expert. But I remember her scanning and um, seeing the baby's head, and her taking the measurement. And I didn't realise at that stage that theia wasn't moving. Um, and I remember her scanning the heart and her going to the heart and in my head thinking oh she's scanning the heart because I could see the red and blue line that she could see and then Mm -hmm. she moved off quickly and then I thought oh she's not oh no she's not scanning the heart and then she just took the probe off my belly Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and she just said I'm so sorry guys there's no heartbeat as blunt as that and I remember just going from lying on the trolley to standing to the side of the trolley and just repeating over and over again, no, no, you can't say this to me, you can't say this to me, it can't be true. It was like a sledgehammer to the face. You know, it was the most shocking thing I'd ever heard in my life because Mm -hmm. I had absolutely no indication Mm -hmm. whatsoever. And then she just said, I'll be back in a minute, I need to go and get somebody else and she left the room and. I just remember myself and David constantly just looking, going, this can't be true, this can't be true, you know. And the doctor, she brought a consultant back in, not my consultant. And the consultant scanned my belly again and she said, you know, I'm sorry. Just, there's no heartbeat, the baby's gone. So it, was just, it was just unreal, as I said, there was no warning, no indication. I felt great. I'd been sick for... You know the majority of the pregnancy, and just that mm-hmm. day I felt good and I put my makeup on and gone in to meet my little baby who was mm-hmm. going to complete our family and it was just shocking I remember the the I asked was my doctor um I won't say her name mm-hmm. now, you know, but I asked was my was my consultant around because mm-hmm. it was five o'clock, and they rang, and she was actually in the hospital, and she came up to us, and she was as shocked as we were completely and utterly shocked. So I remember just asking her what happens now. You know, how do you get the baby out? I had a section as I said, you know,
3: yeah.
2: ten months previously and it was like, what do I do? How do I get the baby out? And she explained that it would probably be better for me to deliver the baby myself. Mhm. I remember then in the in the room my mum was at home with my my and my children. I remember phoning her, and I think she knew straight away from my voice because I asked her where she was and where was the children. Was she sitting down? And I remember just saying to Mammy, "The baby's dead." She just couldn't believe it. Like so, then we were we were just told then that the we could come in the next day um, see the consultant, and that we would probably she could give us um a um a tablet to help bring on the labour, mm-hmm. or we could wait and see whether it progress itself. But I suppose I I just decided I'd go in. I wasn't really sure what I was meant to be doing, so we had to go home and drive ourselves home then, and make a phone call to my friend. I told my friend, go and see in laws, and we just went home and I suppose I had to pretend to normal that. You know, everything was okay with the children because mm. at that stage I had concealed my pregnancy with the children to mm. a point. But my son was four and a half and he used to ask me. And actually, on the morning that we were leaving, he came up to me and he said, hey, What size is the baby now? And I said, Well, I no, checked the app.
3: Mm.
2: And I said to him, well, The baby is the size of a banana. And I remember him running and getting a banana, coming up and holding it to my belly okay. and saying, Is that the size of the baby? And I said, Yeah. So we had to come home and I suppose just they were young enough not to kind of know but try and behave normal
1: yeah.
2: is all I can normally in an abnormal situation. Yeah. yeah so um like a lot of people came over that evening and you know, we had phone calls to make and I think my mom had gone and told my neighbor and stuff just in case they saw different cars coming in and out and yeah. they had picked my son up from the play school and told them so you know we were getting a lot of text messages and pure and utter disbelief like you know yeah.
3: so yeah
2: I don't even know how I slept that night like I actually don't even know whether I did sleep I just remember getting up the next morning and having to um mm-hmm make her way back into the hospital um, to meet the consultant like and you know she was very good but even when we went into the room i wouldn't take the medication until she scanned me again yeah I remember i asked her please please scan me yeah. and she kind of said michelle i think you know the answer and i was like i've not taken until you scan me again and I, I need to know like yeah. so she scanned me there in the room which like, i'm really sorry so yeah i, I took the medication and she said, "Then what we would do is, if I didn't go into labour, that I would be brought in on the Thursday. So that was a Monday, as I said. see it was 21 weeks exactly. Um, we went in on the Thursday then, and um, to have her to to be induced, um, which was really scary because, first of all, I'd never, I'd never been induced, induced
1: yeah.
2: and uh, you know, I'd never given birth uh, vaginally,
3: yeah,
2: you know, and then also I knew that she wasn't going to make a sound." Yeah. I also didn't, at this stage, I didn't know whether she was a girl because I asked in the mm-hmm. scan room could they tell me what the baby was. But she, she said no, like she has a back. The baby has to her back. Back no. to us that they couldn't see. Mm-hmm. So I suppose in a way, um, in hindsight, looking back now, I think that was probably better because I think it would have been too much all at once grief because, uh, and yeah. oh yeah too much too much to take on yeah. like absolutely too much to take on so yeah so we went in on the Thursday morning and um, my friend had offered to come in with us and I kind of thought my god oh, David will need somebody and if I'll need somebody and if something goes wrong mm-hmm. because they had said that you know they would they would induce me and hopefully that I would just deliver myself because you know due to having had a section only 10 months previously there was Small chance of complications and that uh, they may have to proceed to a section and it's funny because I remember begging her don't take my last chance don't take my last chance and that was in the room when she told me and I think a lot of grieving mothers understand it's it's the empty arm she just wants them filled. it's not that I wanted a baby there and then to replace babies that had just died but I just didn't want her to take my last chance
3: yeah. Mm.
2: because she had told me that she was sectioning me four times but she wouldn't section me five mm. um, and I remember just thinking please don't take my last chance so yeah. mm. I was kind of happy to go in and have to be induced um, because it kind of left the door open for me yeah. I know that's very strange for yeah. a lot of people that maybe don't haven't experienced you know um, the loss of a, a baby it might, it might seem hard for them to hear but I
1: remember that feeling was just like, just don't
2: take my last chance, yeah. you know? Yeah, we went um, in on the
1: third, sorry, sorry I, sorry, I was gonna say, I was the same when, before I conceived Keira, um, like that, I was kind of saying, you know, I just desperately, I didn't want to end my pregnancy journey on a, a stillbirth. And, yes. you know, while I delivered to Tide naturally as well, and the girls were a section, um, they would have been probably almost, it was almost two years between them, I think, date wise or whatever. So it would have been kind of, they were coming up to their second birthday when I had tighe. um. But like that, as you say, it was the empty arms, but I, before I had Kira, I just was so, I was like, oh, I can't end my pregnancy journey on a stillbirth or on a death. I have to have another baby and I don't care how long it takes me to conceive or what I have to do to conceive, I need to have this child. So as you say, it's, um. who haven't necessarily experienced a loss they don't understand that i don't know it's kind of like a feral want or something in you that you're just (laughs) just for me the only way i could explain it it
2: was yeah for me i I used to say i want i want my pregnancy journeys to end on my terms yeah not on somebody else's and i understand that a lot of for a lot of people unfortunately they don't have that
1: option Yeah.
2: And I didn't know whether I would have that option or not, but I wanted to, I suppose I wanted the chance
3: mm.
2: to decide it myself as opposed to it being taken completely okay. out of my control. Mm. Yeah, it was just, yeah. I remember my friend had offered to come into the hospital with us and she was only recently bereaved. Her mother had died six months before and her mother was a great part of my life as well. So I didn't know whether she'd be, Well, it was fair to ask her, but um, she's a very good friend of myself and David. We all, we're all nurses, we all trained together, so, um, yeah, so eventually I I kind of thought about it and I thought, God, it's a bit unfair to ask, and I remember her saying to me one day, please don't think it's unfair to ask because I'm offering. Mm. So kind of the morning, the night before I asked her, would she like to do it? Could she still do it? You know, she said she would. Remember the morning that we had to go in, she rang me to see how I was, I remember saying to her, you have to come around and get me out of the bed. I can't do it. Like, like I have to have a shower. I can't actually physically get out of the bed. Mm. Um, and I had a lot of people here, you know, in my house helping with my other children. Um, you know, but, and you know, she came around and she did and she got me up and we went. And I remember sitting on the sofa and taking... The last kind of family photograph because I had my bump and you know
3: mm-hmm.
2: my children were around me and I was trying to smile. God, when I look at the, when I look at that photograph now, I just see pure anguish and pain, like you know. Mm-hmm. And the night prior to that, my my sister-in-law had had recommended that maybe I take some bump pictures if I felt up to it. Like, and I'm mm-hmm. so delighted she did mention that to me because I don't think I would have thought of it myself. Mm-hmm. So my friend had him into the hospital, she came over that night and, uh, you know, she's really into photography and she took some lovely, some lovely pictures, um, heartbreakingly lovely pictures of myself and David and uh, a little bump, you know, mm. and we took, we took some of them. So she came in on Thursday morning and we headed into the hospital. I remember just having this card with the end of life symbol on it, and, you know, in the back of it with the ward and the time I had to go and... And I we're walking into the hospital, and the security guard just looking at me, and I just kind of flicked the card up. I couldn't even say a word. None of us could even speak, and he just directed us. And when I went up to the ward, then the nurse was like, "Oh, good morning," and again I just kind of flicked the card at her, you know, and her face and all changed. She was like, "Oh, okay," and we had to walk down to the corridor, down to the room, and I know now my husband's hand was on my back, and I can still feel that physical pressure. Of his hand on my back, Mm. not forcing me forward, but preventing me from going back Mm. because the urge to run out there Mm. then was like overwhelming. I remember going into the room and my first thought was, my God, such a horrible room. I don't remember a lot clearly of being in the hospital and that journey and stuff but I got my friend to write it down to me afterwards and she wrote in a lovely way of a kind of a letter to me about, about the journey. Mm. And in it she says that my first words were actually out loud, Well, oh, what a horrible room. <laughs> you know, was just, I couldn't believe that this was the room where I was going to have her, you know. Yeah. Very really quick with the bereavement nursing and stuff, the my midwife that was lovely and the pastoral care came up to me and they were all so beautiful and so helpful because in the days prior to coming in I'd had some very, very insensitive comments made to me about what I probably should and shouldn't do, you know, regarding um, the journey I was about to embark on mm. and I was really, really upset about some of these comments, you know, and they talked me through it and um, I really wanted a candle in the room but of course you wouldn't a candle. Mm. But the pastor care went off and she found them um, battery operated candles and she brought them up to me like but mm. Uh, mm. yeah, I remember just sitting there thinking, How is this going to start? <laughs> like, how is it going to start, you know? Um and then my doctor came in and we started the process of of the labour um and the induction and we just kind of sat there, we sat in silence, we read. You know, I, I had arranged with David's friend to come throughout the day and take him downstairs for a coffee and my friend stayed with me and
3: mm.
2: they kind of, you know, they kind of intimately went in and out of the room so that I was always there.
3: Yeah.
2: And the idea was that I would deliver in that room, but as the labour progressed, um, I was in an awful lot of pain and due to the medication they had to give me, they made the decision to transfer me to the labour ward. And they mm. said, see, it was 21 weeks, I don't know whether they would normally leave people whose pregnancies was later, you mm. know, in the room, or whether they would go to the labour ward, I, as I said, I just basically kind of did what I was advised to do. Mm. And I remember asking, it's one of the things again, I remember asking the consultant, what happens when the baby's born, like, what's, what's the term for the baby? And I remember her saying to me, this is the second trimester of stillbirth, yeah. but it's like, okay, I'll hold on to that, like, you know. Um and so we went out and we had we eventually I was moved to the Labour Ward. Initially they came the thought that, you know, if I moved to the Labour Ward my friend wasn't able to come with us because there would only be one person. So I declined the I declined the pain medication so that I could stay in the room with the three of us together, mm-hmm. like um and then my friend left for a few minutes and she came back and the and the middle I said, No, no, I've spoken and the three us can go so we were moved up to the, the Labour Ward. And again, like that, I was wheeling through the labour ward. We were going up in the lift, and uh, the midwife was lead, leading me up. And I remember the lift doors opened, and there was a midwife pushing out a cot with a brand new pink, beautiful little baby in it. And the midwife that was wheeling my wheelchair, I don't think she probably ever did, and, you know, a 180 degree <laughs> turn as quick <laughs> as she <laughs> did.
3: <laughs>
2: and I could hear, I could hear the gasp of horror, like, from my... My husband and my friend, it was just like, oh, you know, you know, it was like, although I saw the baby and, you know, I was delighted for the person that had the baby. Yeah. I was just like, oh, wh- why, why this moment, you know? Yeah. Um. So yeah, we went up on to the labour ward and the labour progressed. It was quite some time. Again, I don't remember a lot of it. I think I went in on myself to protect myself. Mm. I don't remember a lot of when, what happening. It wasn't. It was, you know, it was, it was fine. I remember being sick at one stage throughout it. Um, I remember, you know, as I said, I'm a nurse, I could hear, I could sense the atmosphere changing in the room at one stage, and the consultant was called in late at night. Um, I think they were concerned at one stage, but I suppose in that moment, I remember just looking at the candle and I was trying to talk to the baby. Mm. We didn't have a name for the baby. I didn't know whether the baby was a boy or a girl. But I remember just kind of saying, I thought it was saying it in my head, but you know, apparently I was whispering very quietly. Mm-hmm. I remember just saying like, it's okay, baby, it's okay. Come on, mommy's going to meet you, it's okay. And then I just delivered her. And I just remember this sound in the room. And it took me a couple of moments before I realized it was me.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It was me making the sound. It wasn't a scream, it wasn't a cry, I don't know what it was, it was the most primal sound I've heard. It's like in those few moments beforehand, it was like my body was telling me that I had to let her go. Mm. But my heart won't. And the physical process overtook the emotional process and I had no choice. And I knew it was happening. And I didn't know whether she was trying to stay with me or not or what I was feeling that's why I just said it's okay okay Mm. come to memory and I delivered her and I remember being so terrified as they carried her up to me so terrified that I would hurt her or break her or damage her because she was so tiny she was only 22 centimeters long. I know the mark straight away on my hand you know, from where her head touched my mm. my fingers to where her feet touched down my arm. And she was so tiny, but my God, she was perfect. I remember the midwife saying, look at her fingers, look at her toes. You know, it was just surreal, you know. I, as I said, I don't remember a lot of it. I remember asking, what's the baby? What's the baby? And them just telling me, it's the baby, Michelle, the baby. Because at the, at the time, they couldn't tell whether she was a boy or a girl. Mm. They just kept saying, Michelle, we're not really sure, you know, at the moment. Yeah. And afterwards, they said, Look, we we think we think it's a boy, you know, but we're not really sure. If she's small, and I suppose I don't know. So they weren't sure. But I remember then them just just the quiet and the calm in the room. Thankfully, I never heard any other babies. Thank you, I never heard anybody else labouring. To me, it was yeah. just quiet. It was just quiet. So, we just sat in the room for a while and we were trying to think of a name. And, you know, we were like, will pick a unisex name or what name do we pick? But I don't always like the name of Sia. And to me, it was always a girl's name.
3: Mm.
2: So, I suppose we started looking at it And then in ancient Irish history, it was often used as a boy's name. Mm. So, we were like, okay, we're. we're Go with that, like, you know, and yeah, we decided then that when we found out that she would be free Michelle or free of David 12-29 yeah. um, on September the 11th that we delivered her so I remember just saying it out loud pardon, my, my September 11th
3: yeah.
2: yeah. so we just stayed with her in the room for a while and, and eventually cool. as I said, I don't recall much of it I, I remember being brought back to the room and and then my friend went home and it was just my seven days for a while, like, you know. Oh. Was, so that was early Friday morning. So we didn't leave. We stayed with her Friday night. And we took her home to her own house on Saturday morning. We made the decision to take her home. Our friends came, our friend and our family came in on the, the Friday. And we had, like, a naming ceremony in the hospital. Oh,
3: nice.
2: And it was, you know, it was lovely and it was nice and it was bad and it was strange. Yeah. And it was... <laughs> It was just for real. And then on the Saturday morning, myself and David uh, took her home. There was nobody else come up to the hospital. Yeah. We, my my, my parents were at home with our children, and we decided, no, we would do it. Like, we had a beautiful, beautiful midwife. She was a much older woman, and she was so lovely. And she came in, and she changed a few, a few times for me. Because I had always said I would dress her myself, mm-hmm. you know, but um, I was actually too afraid. I was yeah. too afraid of hurting her or Breaking her, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we took her home on the Saturday morning, then we drove ourselves, and that in itself was surreal. I remember being stopped in the traffic lights at one stage, and her coffin was on my lap, and I was kind of thinking, why does somebody just come up to the window now? Yeah. Look, look at all these people, they're, their lives are just continuing on as normal, and they're going about their daily business. Yeah. and. If they crossed and looked in the window, they'd probably die of the shock,
3: like,
2: yeah. you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we made the decision not to tell our children that uh, we had her at home. Um, and we made the decision not to bring the children in to see her. Mm-hmm. It's a decision I kind of regret now, you know, but I think at the time it was the right decision. My children were one half and three. Yeah. And I'm not sure whether they would have understood at the time, Yeah. but now I kind of sometimes... Regret. My my son does often say to me, "I wish you had let me see her." You know. So, but I suppose at the time we thought that was the right thing to do. Um, and as I said, we were kind of guided and led by people around us, and yeah. So I remember we came home and we brought her upstairs. You know, in a coffin. We'd actually my seven David put her in a coffin ourselves with mm-hmm. the midwife. It's just me, David, and the midwife in the in the hospital mortuary, and we just talked about it and kissed her, and then we decided that. The last thing we could do was tuck her in.
3: Yeah.
2: So we hopped her into her coffin and tucked her in, brought her home. and um, We kept the coffin closed at home. We we, we opened it ourselves. Yeah. No time to give her a kiss, but during the day it was closed. If anybody wanted to come up, they could come up and sit with us, but yeah. I suppose I didn't want her to show. Like, you yeah. know, she was small and she was tiny, and I suppose I was afraid of what people would have said, or maybe they said something, or, made a comment that would hurt me or stick with me, so we just decided no. My children didn't know, so during the day, children were downstairs and they were kept from coming upstairs, and Mm -hmm. we just sat upstairs with her. I do remember coming home, though, and having to tell my children, which was was like, not a job you want to tell, but we brought the children in, and we sat them on our lap in the sitting room, and I just said about, you know, there was a baby in mommy's belly, and they were like, yeah. And uh, I just said, well, the baby had to go to heaven. And I'll never forget the look of shock on my face. The baby died and the baby had to go to heaven. My younger son at the time was like, Okay, can I watch Mickey Mouse And yeah. so we kinda of laughed and he went off yeah. but the other my other son I I I don't I don't think I'll ever forget his little face like, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we just stayed at home and friends and family called over and those who wanted to come and sit upstairs with me and with her and I had a little bits and peace laid out in the bed and I had little boys, we had teddies for each of the children that we had bought before they were born. Yeah. And again, as I said funnily we didn't buy anything for Fia so we didn't have anything for her. Um so we'd have them out in the during the day. Yeah. And um, then we decided that we that she would be cremated. Again, it's not a decision I wanted to make but it was the letter of I suppose it was I don't know how to say it, like, you know, but I couldn't, I couldn't picture myself burying her. Yeah. I couldn't picture myself cremating her. Yeah. But to me, I decided cremation was the...
1: Easier, and I'm doing uh, that in inverted commas, the the easier option.
2: Yeah, well, I I suppose I didn't want, I didn't want a grave for her in case, you know, we didn't go there or... Hmm. So we just decided that we were cremators, so she was cremation on the Monday, exactly mm. the week after we were told that she had mm. died. Just had friends, just small number of friends and family, people came that I didn't expect to come and people that I thought would come didn't come, so yeah, it was just surreal, you know. Um, but I remember being so upset and thinking, why, why, and my friend that was with me said, And it sticks with me because she said, look, you know, Thea gave you gifts, she said, of a natural conception and the gift of a natural delivery. So I try and hold on to that, you know. Mm. Um, I didn't think I'd ever get through the days and I know I was so, so lucky to have the children at home. I remember in those early days, all I wanted was for someone to take them away so that I could grieve the child that wasn't there. You know, and on the other hand, I was so delighted that I had the children
3: mm-hmm. to
2: get me up out of
1: the bed that's it keep me
2: sure. moving during yeah.
1: the day. Um, I know I said to um I remember one one evening after changing one of the girls' nappies um and I said to my husband that if they weren't there um i I would be literally buried beside hike because I know i would have I would have taken my life. That was how low I felt. So as you say, yeah. like having the children there, like they were a reason to get up in the morning, um, because they were so young, you know, they, they needed, they needed a parent to be able to look after them, like.
2: Oh, they um, were what got me so, up, you know, and yeah,
1: because it would be just so dark, the the days are so yeah. dark, and the grief just consumes.
2: Oh, consumes, and you know, it's funny because, I remember, going to a counselor, um, short time afterwards. And I remember when I arrived there, I had been going to her because my father had been diagnosed with cancer and I was working through a lot of stuff like that. Thankfully mm-hmm. now he's, he's completely cancer free now. But uh, I went back to her and I remember driving there one day. And when I got there, I started crying because I said, well, I don't actually, I don't remember driving here. Yeah. I said, I, I, somebody beeped at me going through a roundabout. And I said, I think I pulled out front of them. And mm-hmm. she was so so nervous I and mean, she offered she to drive me home and get her husband to follow. Um, but after the council session I was okay but I didn't really go out mm. I didn't go out for about six weeks or more maybe Um once or twice I did venture out and people of course would say to me oh my god Michelle you had the baby like, oh. and I'd be like well I did but you know and mm. um, we went out for a month's mind we actually drove to the beach and we let off balloons and went for a meal we didn't really know how to market like um and But then I didn't go out, even down to school and stuff, because there was a little lady who was pregnant Mm. at the same time as me down at the school. Mm. I remember I couldn't go down. I remember when I did go down one stage in the car, looking, and her bump was gone. Mm. I remember thinking, I bet she had a baby, and I bet she had a girl, and, you know, and it was all these feelings, not towards her, but that I was having, you know? Um, And in between that time, I'm not sure I actually remember, I think it was, I think it was two weeks because um, the doctor asked could they do some tests on Fia and we were like yeah you know fine mean, we need to know what happened and um about two weeks later they rang me then to say that all the tests were normal
3: mm.
2: they had no reasoning for why she passed and that um, the test confirmed that she was a girl and I remember being at home going okay can you say that to me again and she said to me she was female mm. And I was like, okay, thank you, thank you. And I remember just getting off the phone and just, God, oh, I can't believe it. I lost my baby and I lost my girl.
3: Yeah.
2: I remember, you know, it was just, I remember phoning my dad and telling my dad, Dad, here yeah, was a girl.
3: Mm. My dad said,
2: oh, fuck, quick, i us put your mother on, dear. <laughs> Which kind of <laughs> made me laugh. Like, you know, I was like a typical dad. That was literally what he said to me. <laughs> you know, um, but I had, I had really good friends. You know they were very supportive, and I had a friend of mine who had who had had a who had lost a baby at almost full term um, the year before. and I was able to check in with him and just talk to my emotions, and yeah. you know, like that he had lost his girl, and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it's just like, you know, they took they took my baby and they took my girl. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just.
1: It's so, but you know, it's um, there's there's no words for anyone who suffers a loss. It's just shit.
2: Oh, it's all I could think of. The word that used to go over, I used to only describe it was as cruel. Yeah. It was cruel. Yeah. There was no other word. Shit didn't do it for no. me. <laughs> it was just cruel, you know, so, so cruel. And to be so joyously happy. And, you know, my my story was, you know, she was my ultimate surprise. Yeah. She was like the icing on the cake for my 40th birthday. Mm. She was a she after having three boys.
3: Mm.
2: And she was like the cherry on top of my family. Oh, yeah, she was that. complete my family. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: You know, and it was just all taken in a second. As I said, those words, I'm so sorry. There's no heartbeat. Yeah. Said so quickly.
1: Yeah.
2: To me, they they, they were said so bluntly. I'm sure she didn't say them bluntly, but I'll only ever remember them as blunt because, as I said, it was like a blunt hammer to my face. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, you know, she's very much involved in our lives. Um, My children, at the the time, we we made a decision there and then that we didn't want the children to go up in a house where Mammy and Ellie were constantly sad. So we decided that we... We wouldn't hide our grief and our crying from the children but we wouldn't expose them to the amount of it that we had
1: yeah
2: that Mm. makes sense so they did see us crying and if they saw me crying and they'd say to me why are you sad and i'd say i'm sad because baby went to heaven Mm. um you know and they'd say to me are you sad because fia died and i'd say yes i am sad for fia Mm. died you know um but like we said we still had to go from the school make the lunches do a first birthday party only seven weeks after Bea yeah. died and you know we just kind of showed up to all these things when I look at these photos I see I see a completely different face to the ones at my 40th birthday yeah completely different and you know they they include her a lot now you know we remember shortly after we were in Kerry and I had the three boys and the double buggy and the buggy board and the lady saying oh my god look at you and are these all yours you have three beautiful boys and my son saying and we have a sister but she lives in heaven now bear in mind my son at this stage was five
3: yeah.
2: and the the lady going oh but well, isn't that lovely now she said you have some little girl looking over you mm. and you know I expect her to kind of go oh oh and move on yeah. so there is there is those people that do kind of go oh um uh, and they, and then you go, oh look, it's okay, and you know you kind of, you end up you were kind of nearly comforting them, them?
3: <laughs>
1: so you're more you know. But
2: <laughs> oh yeah, so my my children were correct, and even to this day they look at me. Um, I, I did go on, and I I I, I did have a fifth mm-hmm. child, and um, with the assistance of fertility treatment, um, so I I had her the following the following year, yeah. um. I think it was 13 months after I, I, had, Fia, I had a little girl, I had another girl, mm. we called Shewn. And um, like people would see me and they'd be like, oh, aren't you blessed now? You have your three boys and look at your little girl. Mm. And even Shewn who never met her, you know, who came after would say, oh, and we have Thea, she's my sister, she lives in heaven. Yeah. But as I said, we never, we, we never pushed that on the children. We yeah. just, as I said, we only ever let them lead. Yeah. They can talk about her if they want to. You know, I love when they talk about her and I love when they include her and they see butterflies, they see feathers, they see robins. <laughs> they ask me, is that her? And I say, her, well, it's a sign. I believe it's a sign from her. Yeah.
3: You know,
2: so um, and see it means little deer. Yeah. So there's a great affiliation with uh, deer. So when they see deer or, you know, we go to the Phoenix Park and they see the deer or Little finds anywhere. They don't want me to look at the fields, which is lovely, like, right, yeah. you know? Yeah, um, I know, yeah she's I
1: very here, much. Um, I went to Kerry a couple of years ago. We associate Tig's birthday with Kerry because we went there a couple of years ago for his birthday. And it was my very first time to ever be in Kerry, but I went to the national park and I spotted two baby deers. I think mm. I remember taking a photograph and sending it to you because the minute yes. I see a deer, I just immediately think of your Fia. Um yeah, cabin, but like
2: <laughs> Yeah, and so many parents who I've met through Felicon yeah. um who who would know off they often do send me stuff. And it's, it's just so lovely, you know, it's just to go, God, there's somebody other than myself and David thinking about her. Yeah. Because I think that's the fear. The fear is that she's because she's not here she's going to be forgotten.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And that leads me on to the thing then where we found her afterwards then I was wondering about leave from work. And I was told because she was born um, at twenty one weeks mm-hmm. that you have to be twenty four weeks or five hundred grams in order to be um registered as a stillborn baby. Yeah. And um so therefore I was entitled to no maternity leave, um like no parental leave, anything like that. No, as I said I was on I was still on maternity and um parental leave from my third son
3: yeah.
2: when I was pregnant. So I still had a bit of time left before I went back to work. But it was just, I couldn't believe that there was nothing for her. I couldn't believe there would be no register for her. And the thing that horrified me most was that when myself and David are dead and gone and our children are dead and gone, if we have grandchildren or great-grandchildren, if they ever go and do a family free, there's no record of her. Mm-hmm. I gave birth to her, I have a medical file for the labour of her, mm-hmm. I have medical notes for her pregnancy, and I have a certificate of her cremation that I must bring with me if I want to take her ashes out of the country. But yes, she I have exist.
1: no... I don't mean to say number. that bluntly, but... Like, as in, oh yeah, in in the, the eyes, eyes of, of the law, the country. she doesn't exist. But. And I remember
2: googling and looking and googling, and like, if I lived in America, yeah. if I lived in Australia, uh a stillbirth is classed as a baby from 20 weeks yeah. and actually at the time the Miscarriage Association of Ireland um, Classified a stillbirth as a baby born from 20 weeks on yeah. Yeah. But yet the Irish law classifies them as 24 weeks or five hundred Said, I labored for 11 hours yeah. to deliver this tiny perfect baby yeah. and You know, she's not recognized by the state. That was really hard pill to swallow. It was really yeah. hard to come to terms with mm-hmm. and you yeah. know I know Caroline Stevens mummy and her husband you know have a campaign on going to get a certificate of life mm-hmm. I really hope it comes in because that piece of paper is so important
3: yeah. to
2: people who want that piece of paper
3: yeah not everybody
2: wants it but for those who want it that is so important yeah. I have I have scanned pictures of her yeah. as I said I have medical notes you mm-hmm. know I have her handprint. I have her footprints, but yes, either at
1: all she doesn't have. Like it's, it's just, I think it's just the coldness of them saying, no, yeah. that's it, you don't get out and then you're kind of going, it doesn't make sense because you can clearly see, or the, the nurses and the doctors at the time could clearly see a physical being, but yet yeah. you're telling me, sorry, no, that doesn't yeah. exist. <laughs>
2: I know.
1: Um, and you'd kind of wonder, like, how much room on data would, you know, babies who have, you know, lost their lives prior to 24 weeks, really and truly, how much room on a data processor would their record actually take up? From, yeah. I don't understand technology, like, but, you know, to be able to just actually say the baby's name, the, and I think the baby and the I'll date of birth, you know, on some sort yeah. of a computer system uh, with memory or whatever, like.
2: It's like, I think, I can't remember whether it was, it was within the year of having fear or maybe it was just shortly after having my fifth child, that the census came in the door. Mm. You know, and one of the questions in the census was, um, I, I I can't fully remember, but it was like, how many pregnancies have you had, or many times have you given birth? And then it was, how many living children do you have? But it was like, the, the two questions didn't, the maths didn't add up. Yeah. Because one question I was able to say five. Yeah. But the other question I I have to write four. Yeah. You know, so it was just even that in itself, I, I remember I did write in the corner, squeeze a little kind of side note to go, by the way. <laughs> you know. I'm sure they were like, Oh my god, but uh I, I do believe that is changing as well. I, just
1: uh, nice idea. I think Caroline was saying that they're putting a note a a box where you can put it in there to add any children yeah. that have passed away from miscarriage or stillbirth. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. Which is it, it's something. It's not obviously the whole thing, like you know, but it's a step in in the direction, like for it. So.
2: Yeah. Okay. Oh no, definitely. And you know, it's I can't believe she would be six this year. She'll be yeah. six in September, and it's like that time. As I said, you know, the time goes by. So quickly, yeah. and yet stand still. Yeah, you know, you you hear a song, or you get a smell, or you say a word, and you're right back in that room.
3: Yeah,
2: you know, yeah. or you trigger something, and it doesn't have to be any anything at all. You know, you you know this one word, one phrase, and then other times where you think, oh my god you know, her birthday's coming up and, you know, I, I always kind of get a bit tetchy around September and suddenly, enough, so does my son because I said he was, had started in play school and I suppose he recognised all this upset and September's not a good month for him either. Like, you know, he'd just be tetchy and I don't think he understands why. Um, I sense it. We both sense it, myself and my husband, and um, I feel very, I can only say, tetchy coming up to it. But yeah. normally, normally the day of her birthday, passes fine because... I, we always make our cake,
3: yeah. and I'd
2: say to my family, look we're having tea and cake for, you know, his birthday, if you just want to pop in and have a slice of cake, you can. Yeah. Um, I, again, we kind of made the decision not to do a birthday party, or, you know, um, buy a gift or anything like that, you know, mm. I suppose to protect my other children, whether it's the right or the wrong, I'm not sure, like, but yeah. that's what we decided, but we always make cake,
3: yeah. and we
2: always have tea and cake. and. My friend who was with us in the labour ward comes, and my parents normally come over and and um, the children were saying happy birthday and there's low kisses and it's lovely mm. it, it sounds it sounds harrowing and the first time it probably was heartbreaking and harrowing but now it, to me it's no different than acknowledging your grandparents anniversary or you know somebody who's gone beyond yeah. come before you so mm. it's just a uh, it's an acknowledgement.
1: No, I don't want to say it's not, when I say a happy, it's obviously not a happy occasion, but like you, we do something similar where we'll, I don't know, I wouldn't make cakes as extravagant and <laughs> delicious looking as yours, um. but I'll try and make a cake or I'll just buy a cake. Um, mm. We'll sing Happy Birthday and we'll just have tea and cake amongst ourselves. But it's, it kind of brings a little bit of a joy to my heart that, you know, kind of, it's, it's bittersweet, but it's like we're remembering them and, you know, you're you're having this little party for him. So I don't know whether you can get me there. It's like
3: oh, I it's do. Not, it's not like that it's happy, me.
1: but it's that bittersweetness because you know we're all coming together to celebrate, and we are actually, you know, well, like the kids are obviously happy because they're getting cake. You know, but it's you kind of smile.
2: Yeah, it's it's the acknowledgement, and yeah. you know, I get text messages on her birthday from from people that are, you know, they mean a lot to me and. Yeah. Sometimes it's just a text thinking of you, or thinking of fear, or remembering fear, or, you know, I'm not asking for a card, man, but just an acknowledgement that, you know, today is a hard day for us, you know. Yeah. so, um, yeah. And as I said, we don't want to make it a sad day for our other children, so we try and keep it light and happy. But yeah. I would always have a glass of Prosecco on my birthday. Yeah. You know, it's, I go, yep, yeah, we get something nice, have a cake, have a little glass of Prosecco, light our candle. Um, it's the acknowledgement, as I said, it's the acknowledgement, yeah. you know. Mm. Um, and I don't expect I don't expect everyone around me to remember her all the time. I don't expect everyone to to feel the sense of loss that we feel with her. Yeah. But I appreciate those who acknowledge that we find it difficult. Yeah. Whether they understand or not, to make that acknowledgement,
3: mm. I'm not
2: asking them to understand, I I just ask them to acknowledge. You know, yeah. and I, but I don't even ask. You know, I appreciate those who acknowledge mm. that. You know, she was here. She was a big part. We miss her. Um, you know, the, the said it six years now. I suppose that longing and that timing that we had in the beginning has lessened. But any family occasion, or any like like fear, would have started school last September, yeah. and I didn't think I would find that hard. But I remember on the morning waking up and just thinking, oh my God. You know, I wasn't imagining goo bags or anything like that. It was just, Fear would have started today. Mm. And one or two people texted me, and those, it just brightened me. It made me feel lighter on the day that somebody texted me and said, hope you're okay today. I know Fear would have started school today. Yeah. It was all like, you know, and it was lovely. But, you
1: um, know, we talk about our a lot. She's... Sorry, I was going to I think people don't realize how much a text message or, um, like, I I mentioned to somebody that one of the dads at the school um, where my kids go, um, it would have been probably, like, the last day just before the Christmas holidays, and as I was going back to the car after dropping the kids, he comes over to me and he says, oh, here, I bought you this, and I have it in the car, it's, like, a novelty Christmas jumper, magnet that I think he picked it up in deals or something, but it has Tig's name on it. Yeah. He said, I saw it in the shop and I just could not pass it by. And I immediately thought of you guys and I bought it for you. And I was completely blown away because, number one, no disrespect to men, like, you know, I'm going, like, this was a father. Yeah. He's, you know, he's a young guy at the school. He's never lost a child, um, mm. thankfully. So I was quite shocked that he went out was a way to do this because you kind of, ex- not say so expected from a woman, but I think women being maternal, they can empathize more. Um, having carried children or whatever themselves, you know, they kind of have that bit more of a connection. Um, but it just meant so much. So when people reach out to you, it's kind of like, oh, yeah. you you acknowledge that I did actually have a child and this child existed. Um, and you remember them, and that's so huge.
2: Yeah, well it was like, um, the, as I said, the, there, was, there was a lady who was pregnant at the play school. Mm. Um, and she looked around the same stage as I did. You know, mm. her bumps looked fairly kind of size of people's bumps. And you kind of think, oh, I wonder if she was the same as me. And she did look around the same um, age size as me. But I remember um, speaking to her afterwards. And I did meet her afterwards with her baby. And I had a coffee and I asked her could I hold her baby because I needed to hold the baby.
1: Yeah. Because
2: I needed to... I needed to rip that plaster off, you know. I needed to just hold the baby, and she'd had a little girl, and I held her little baby, and I cried, and we had a coffee and stuff. And um, I remember on field due date, my husband went down to collect my children. Mm. And when he came back, he had a card and a box of chocolates, Mm. and this lady had given it to him, and all she'd written in the card was, I hope you're okay. I know today things should have been very much different for you, Mm. and I'm thinking of you and your little girl. And this was a lady who I said hello to. Some mornings, yeah. some mornings not, you know, mm-hmm. some mornings. That I did not know her before the September. Yeah. My son started school, got school in the September and he was born the 11th of September. Yeah. And in the January, this lady sent me a box of chocolate and a card. And I was just blown away. I was yeah. blown away by it. I just couldn't. Yeah. It's like, she doesn't even know me. But, you know, she had a baby the same age.
3: Yeah.
2: And she got it, like yeah. you
3: know. Yeah. That's
2: the thing. You don't... You don't want them text you all the time, and stuff. But like, she just knew.
3: Yeah. Oh
2: my God, I have my baby, and this lady doesn't have hers. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's, just, it's just the acknowledgement. So I said, I'm, I'm. I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change a moment of it. You know. May, maybe I would change the way those words were delivered, or maybe I would change that room and stuff. But
3: yeah.
2: uh, I would never change. I would never change getting pregnant with fear. I would never change having fear. Yeah. um and even losing fear, I it sounds mad but like she's brought me so much she has made me stronger she's made yeah. me filter out what i call white noise mm-hmm. and nonsense i have very little tolerance for white noise and nonsense mm-hmm. nowadays and i think she i think she gave me that gift and i don't mean that in an aggressive way i'm just you know, I'm just not into nonsense anymore, you know, um, and she has brought so much acknowledgement into our lives, and even with our children, um, I know people sometimes think, oh my God, they shouldn't know, And but like, you know, death is part of life, that is. it shouldn't happen, it shouldn't happen to the young, mm. but unfortunately it does, and I think she has given so much to our family, yeah. that I would never change, never change having her. Never. She's she's made me the person that I am and if the person I am is because of her.
3: Yeah.
2: And, you know, the experience that we have with her. And mm. yes, I do miss her. And I used to hear people say, I think about them every day, and i would be thinking, oh, really, how can you think about him every day like? But I mean I think about her every day. She's not my first thought. She's not my last thought at night. But every day. Yeah. In my head. I just wonder, you know, and I never know why she died. To me really, that's the eternal question forever unanswered. Mm. I never know but um, I'm always glad that I was her mommy. she was my girl. Mm -hmm. I I have, I've written some, I remember writing something, it was like very new, I might just read it out here, just for people who may be in a much earlier stage, have never really shared it too much, I've shared I've shared it on, on a, a grief group that I was on mm. and um, I actually wrote it on the 24th of October 2015 and Leah was born as I said on the 11th of September, so mm. it was relatively recent Six weeks or something. and it was just yeah. somebody asking you where you thought you were in your grief journey, now I was very, very early.
3: Yeah.
2: So I might read it and you can include it. Um, So I just said, to explain where I am in my grief journey, I must first explain how I choose to view grief. I see grief as a physical wound to my heart, my soul and my life. Like any wound, I know that although I will heal with time, I will always be left with a scar. In the early stages of grief, I see a wide-open, gaping wound. It's raw, it's visible, it's unbelievably painful, and no matter how well you try to cover it up, you can still see it. How long it takes for that wound to heal varies greatly from person to person, and it cannot be rushed. There are people who will unintentionally cause you pain as they try to help you heal. And then there are others who will consistently poke that wound, and at times even pour salt into it. There are days where you may think you are healing well, and then the wound will break down and bleed profusely. Then there are others where you will continuously pick at the digit. Covering up the wound will not help it to heal quicker. That wound needs to be protected, nurtured, through this gently and cared for. In time it will heal, and when you see that scar, you will remember those who helped you to heal. So where am I? My wound is wide open. It's raw. It's incredibly painful. It causes me to cry daily and to beg someone to tell me that this pain will ease. I know I'm a long way from seeing my scar. Therefore, I'm protecting myself from those who want me to cover it up to ease their discomfort. And I'm surrounding myself with those they truly want me, want to let me squeeze their hand when the pain grips and I feel that I will bleed forever. As I said, I wrote that six weeks after had died. And it's the only way that I can explain the depth of that time. Mm. As I said, I sh- still should have been pregnant. Her, due date was coming, people would stop me in the street and ask me I have the baby. But I'm six years on now almost six years on and I suppose yeah. the scar is there
3: yeah.
2: you know i said there are triggers, sounds, smells, songs they will make you stop and you can feel it
3: but yeah.
2: it does close but it'll always scar will always be oh, there yeah. and that's just the way yeah. that I can it's the only way I could describe it yeah and I think it is <laughs> It was very real for me at the time.
3: Yeah.
2: And as I said, it's it's not wide open. I don't let people pick stitches anymore. No. But it does. It's there. It kneels. Sometimes it drop. Yeah. But mostly, you know, it's part of me.
3: Yeah.
2: And that's what I carry forward. I said I look at photographs. And I can see a change in my yeah. smile. Yeah. Um as I said, I don't I don't recall feeling the same joy that yeah. I felt that I did the day that I saw that positive pregnancy test. Yeah. And that's not to take away from my other children. Yeah. It's just that to me was pure shock, joy. It was the best thing ever.
3: Yeah.
2: You know, and but now everything is just Slightly tainted, I suppose, mm. because she's not here to share with. Yeah. So even having my other child, you know, my other little girl is so amazing, and she brings so much healing to my heart. Yeah. Mm. But like, she is not here to play with her.
1: Yeah. I don't think she to, to
2: she doesn't say that to me, "My here." Like? You know. Mm. It's just a piece of the jigsaw, yeah. and we can never find that piece of the jigsaw put into it. Mm. It's just missing, and it'll always be
3: that one
1: little piece. Mm. You know, so. oh. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think we'll, we should leave it there. That's um, a very, very powerful. Um, thank you so
2: much. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell her story. Yes. Um,
0: I'd like to thank Michelle for allowing me to share Fia's story if you have been affected by anything in this podcast please reach out and ask for support I have listed the names of some support organisations in the episode details please know you are never alone we are all here to support each other to remember and to acknowledge our babies in the next episode I will speak to Emma who is Bobby's mum